Well, good morning, Embassy Church. Um, thank you all so much for gathering this morning here. Uh, it's good to see all of you. I would like to begin this morning with a question for you all. How many of you have felt distant from God before? How many of you feel distant from God now, this morning? I'll ask, that, I'll ask that same question with a, with, with a little bit more of a punch. How many of you have gone out of your way to avoid your heavenly Father? So today we're going to begin a new series through the book of Jonah. And in the first chapter, which is where we'll be, you're going to see how much distance you are willing to create from God and how much of a gracious God our God is. So we're going to read... Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, that is on page 726 in the Black Pew Bibles, page 726, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. So please follow along as I read. Starting with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord." But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean? You sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Verse 9, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Last verse, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Main idea this morning, main idea, one sentence, when we flee God in our sin, God pursues in his grace. When we flee God in our sin, God pursues in his grace. We're going to systematically work through this chapter that we just read together verse by verse, so I need you all to stay with me throughout the message. We're going to be going in and out of the text a lot. And as we do that, I want you guys to have in the back of your minds these conflicting concepts, an imbalance of ideas. Jonah's actions and God's grace. Jonah's actions and God's grace. So let's look with me at verses 1 and 2, really at verse 1 here. So in verse 1, you see that we're introduced to the two main characters of the story who are God and Jonah. In your Bible, it says uh, Lord in all capital letters. That's just a stand-in for God's personal name. God, our God has a real name. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh. So the two main characters already introduced in the first verse of the book, Yahweh and Jonah. And that the rest of the book is about their relationship between these two main characters. None of the other characters in the story are named. So the book is about God and Jonah. So you got the names of Yahweh and Jonah, and there's another name in verse 2. It's Nineveh. And it's Nineveh, the name Nineveh is the name of a city. God calls it in verse 2, that great city. So for those unfamiliar, Nineveh uh, was the capital city of a nation called Assyria. Records show that Assyria was one of the most ruthless nations that have ever existed. Many scholars today believe that the Assyrians invented crucifixion. So when they would conquer a nation, they would behead people and pile their heads into pyramids. They would skin their enemies alive. And at the time, Assyria was extremely brutal and barbaric and wicked. Assyria today is modern-day Iraq. So that is where God is calling Jonah to go. So we have the main characters identified. We know a little bit about Nineveh. So now we need to figure out what we're reading here. So what are we reading? We're reading a prophetic book. A genre is important. We just finished a series on the book of Philippians. What's the genre of Philippians? It's a letter. The book of Philippians is a, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Before that, we, we went through a series of the book of Psalms. What's the genre of the Psalms? Poetic songs. So here, we need to know the genre. Prophetic books usually, almost exclusively, begin with the word of Yahweh, coming to a prophet, and then they also mention the prophet's dad, the prophet, son of, you know, his dad's name, so-and-so. And then what follows for most of the book, if not the entire book, is the actual prophetic message. And the message is given by the obedient prophet. So that's the genre. And the first two verses act as like this introductory formula. We have those today. You guys are all familiar with the introductory formulas. So an example would be if you heard someone uh, say, Dear Heavenly Father, so what do you anticipate after that? It's a prayer. You anticipate a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God. What about this one? 
Once upon a time there was a... So it's a fairy tale. You're about to read a fairy tale. So verses 1 and 2 is like that. You're about to read a prophetic book. Keep in mind what's supposed to follow after verse 2, we're going to read verse 3 together, is a very long prophetic message given by an obedient prophet of God. So please look at verse 3 with me as I read it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Where's the prophetic message? And what is God's prophet doing? What follows isn't a prophetic message. It's, it's a story. You're about to read a story. And the story begins with the prophet running away from God. This is God's prophet. The first image I had when I was meditating on these verses was if you were to, were to approach me and you would say, John, I have something amazing to tell you. And then I turn around and I walk away. That's the first thought I had. It's the complete opposite of what you would expect of the genre. And catch the word Tarshish. I emphasize it on purpose. How many times does the narrator say Jonah was going to Tarshish? Three times. Is Jonah going to Nineveh? No, he's going to Tarshish. Where is he going? Tarshish. So he's not going to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish. Why would Jonah, who believes in and worships a God whom he knows is all good, he knows his God is all-knowing, he knows his God is ever-present, he's everywhere, why would he run away from this kind of God? This is the narrator's first hint to all of you that Jonah, the believer, is acting like a pagan. He's acting like a pagan. Pagan gods, for those, you know, you guys are probably familiar with this, the pagan gods were regional. They weren't everywhere. They didn't know everything. Their powers and their authorities were limited. So it would make sense if a pagan was running away from a pagan god. But, but Jonah? And what's Jonah running away from? Verse 3 said it twice. He's running away from the presence of the Lord, from the presence of Yahweh. Why does it seem like Jonah thought he could actually get away from the presence of the Lord? He was probably familiar with Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. I'll read a good portion of it. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? This is the psalmist talking to God. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the realm of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So why does Jonah flee God's call to Nineveh? So we can all speculate, but right now, the author doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us, so you're not supposed to know. Okay? You're not supposed to know, at least not yet. You do, you do find out the actual reason, but you have to read the rest of the story. Right now, the important thing isn't the why, but the what. And the what is a prophet of Yahweh is running away from Yahweh. When Jonah got to the port city of Joppa, he didn't buy a boat ticket. I just want to make that clear. These men weren't selling, you know, 
tickets for boat rides. Jonah either begged or demanded to get on the boat in exchange for, for money. In other words, if you let me on, I will pay you. The example would be, you know, if you rushed over to the O'Hare Airport in Chicago and you run in and you say, you run up to the airline front desk and then you say, I need a flight to, to Hawaii right now. And then the person behind the desk says, I'm sorry, we don't have any flights going out right now and we don't have any flights going out to Hawaii today. Then you bust out this huge suitcase full of cash and you say, I will buy a plane. It doesn't have to be big, it's just me. I will buy a plane, I will buy your pilot, I will buy your co-pilot and you know, one stewardess and a one-way ticket to Hawaii now. That's Jonah. There's a lot of movement in verse 3. Jonah is really going out of his way to get away from the presence of the Lord. So, where are you running from? What are you running from this morning? God calls all of us here in this room to love. Love your parents. God calls you to love your sibling. Love your child. Love your spouse. What are you running away from? Are you avoiding them? Maybe emotionally? God commands you to share the gospel with non-believers, family members, co-workers, fellow peers. God even calls you to love your enemies. Are there people in your life you don't like? People, God exhorts you to not stay trapped in habitual sin. He calls you to share your struggles with, uh, with others for prayer and accountability. Fellow believers, what are you running away from this morning? The main idea this morning is that when we flee from God in our sins, God pursues in his grace. And I have two points this morning underneath the, the main idea. The first point is nearly identical, and, it, and, it's, and it's this. When we flee God in our sin, God pursues us in his grace. God pursues us in his grace. In the rest of the chapter, starting with verse 4, you're going to see what a pursuit from God looks like. You're going to see what a pursuit from God looks like. You also see the effects of Jonah's rejection that he doesn't initially experience because he's asleep. So we're going to read verses 4 and 5 together. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So in verse 4, what does God do? God hurls a great wind on the sea. Just a, a piece of fact. No one can hurl the wind. No one can, I mean, we can fan it, we can, we can blow it, you can't throw it, you can't throw the wind. And in fact, God doesn't need to do anything. For those familiar with Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, God creates everything. And how does God create everything? Does he bring his arm back, pitch a strong pitch, boom, creation. Does he jump up and down, does he need to? How does he create everything into existence? 
the entire physical universe. He speaks it. God speaks it into existence. God didn't lift a finger in Genesis chapter 1. And here in Jonah 1, this same God, who instead of speaking a great wind upon the sea, he throws it. You can imagine how terrifying, how frightening that wind was. The text highlights how frightening this was. The mariners are afraid. They're screaming to their pagan gods. God hurled the wind, so now they're hurling the cargo. I've been seasick before. If I was there, there'd be a lot of hurling. And the text expresses the terror in a more subtle way. So look at the end of verse 4. At the end of verse 4, it reads, The ship threatened to break up. So that word threatened in that Hebrew form, literally means to think. In every Old Testament occurrence, in that form, this word to think is used to describe people. So what does this mean? What this could mean is that God's apparent wrath is so terrifying that even a thing incapable of consciousness gains consciousness to fear for its own life. God's power is so present that an inanimate, unthinking object thinks it's going to die by God's power. Does that remind you of anything that, of of anything God's done for you? Does that remind you of anything God's done for you? A non-living thing, incapable of life, becoming alive. By after the intervention of our God in heaven. A non-living thing, incapable of life, becoming alive after the intervention of our God in heaven. Ephesians verse two, verse, or chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 talks about this, and I'll read it to you all. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. While everyone's fearing for their lives, including the boat, what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. He's asleep. I mean, how, have any of you have been so stressed? Have any of you been so overwhelmed where, you know, you're looking at your to-do list and you say, I have 40 things I have to get done, and 20 have to be done today. I'm going to take a nap. We call that a stress nap. There's something very natural about what Jonah's doing here, but at the same time, something unnatural. So this Hebrew verb, to sleep, is not the normal word for sleep. It occurs seven times the entire Bible, twice in this chapter, and it has the connotation of not just a a regular sleep, but a death-like sleep. A deep, heavy sleep where you cannot move, where you're stunned. There's no word for it, but there may be. I call this a death nap. Jonah sleeping here is not an isolated incident, by the way. In verse 3, you see Jonah going down to Joppa, and then going down into the ship. And here in verse 5, in verse 5, you see Jonah going down again into the inner part of the ship. So what you're beginning to see is Jonah's progressive descent as he's running away from God. 
So last Sunday, we heard from our brother David Marus uh, talking about Christ's ascension into heaven. Today, we hear about Jonah's descension three times. The repetition, it's unavoidable. As he flees from Tarshish, 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 flees to Tarshish, 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 from the presence of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord, he goes down and he goes down and he goes down into his deep, heavy, death-like sleep. Some of you may already be relating to Jonah in the story. You may be thinking, I'm a mess, and I've hit rock bottom. I'm a mess, and I've hit rock bottom. So I have to ask you, are you, like Jonah, also a believer? Are you also a believer who's protesting, resisting, and fleeing the God who loves you and calls you to obey his word? You know, we want God to operate on our own terms. And when he doesn't, we react. Just like Jonah. See, in verses 3 and 4, you see Jonah trying to run away from God physically. In verses 5 and 6, you see Jonah trying to run away from God mentally. Until he's woken up in verse 6. What are the first commands Jonah hears when he wakes up? In verse 6. Arise. Call out. Where have we heard those commands before? It's from God in verse 2 at the beginning of the story. I mean, isn't that incredible? God is speaking through a non-believing pagan ship captain, and the first thing Jonah hears when he wakes up from his death-like sleep are the words of God. He hears God's call for him to go to Nineveh through a non-believer. The applications are endless for us. And while this is happening, one thing is clear to us. Jonah does not care about the sailors. He doesn't care about the crew. The sailors are doing everything to stay alive, and Jonah seems like he wants to die. In verses 7 and 9, you see the sailors continuing to do everything they can. So now I'm at verses 7 and 9, and you, it's really helpful if you visualize the, the scene. So imagine this. Imagine that this building... No, 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 sorry, it's too big. So imagine this sanctuary here, the main sanctuary, is the ship. You're on the boat, okay? And the boat is in the middle of a storm. The, the church floors underneath your feet, they're moving. They're rocking back and forth. The pews on one end of the room is going up a couple of meters while the pews on the other side goes down a couple of meters and then alternating back and forth. You can't hear anything. The rain coming from the sky is loud, pounding onto the ship. There's waves crashing beneath you on the bottom of the ship. You're, the men are screaming. They're hurling cargo off the ship. They're screaming to their pagan gods. And a small group of men are all screaming questions at Jonah. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? Some of the questions might seem odd to us, but the mariners are just, they're just trying to figure out what's happening. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They have no idea what's going on. But they know that Jonah is the cause. They know Jonah's re related to this. Then for the first time in the book, you hear the great prophet Jonah speak. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
So we're not in the story, we're reading the story, so it's easy for us to see this. As the reader, as the listener, you see a blatant contradiction between what Jonah claims he does and what he's actually doing in the story. He says he fears Yahweh. Another way of saying that, he worships Yahweh. He obeys Yahweh. In the story so far, has Jonah demonstrated any fear, any worship, any obedience toward Yahweh? Here's the big kicker to his statement. The pagan sailors believed that there was a direct connection between their imminent death and Jonah's God. So we don't see the world this way, but back then there was a direct connection between the earthly affairs in this life and the supernatural world. And remember that the pagans believed in regional gods. Regional gods. These pagan gods didn't have power or authority everywhere. And Jonah says, so Jonah says his God, that's our God, is in heaven, who made the dry land and the and the sea. You can imagine what the pagan sailors were thinking. You are running away from the God of the sea on the sea? You see this response from them in Jonah's solution, verses 10 through 12. 10 through 12. Earlier, we see the mariners discover the cause of the problem. That's Jonah. And here in verses 10 through 12, they discover the reason behind the problem, which is that Jonah is fleeing from God's presence. So they have the cause of the problem, they have the reason behind the problem, and now they need the solution to the problem, the how. They, got, they have the what, they have the why, they need, they need to know the how. So what's the solution? Jonah says the solution is to throw him overboard. How does Jonah know this? How does he know this? So we've gone through the text uh, section by section, verse by verse, is there any, indi- in, any indication in the text we've read so far that this would actually work? I mean, you could say, well, Jonah's a prophet, so he knew the future. I could just as easily say that Jonah made it up. He made it up. There is nothing in the text that tells you that he would know this. Jonah would rather die than fulfill his specific call from God. Jonah tries to escape physically by heading to Tarshish, Then he tries to escape mentally by sleeping, and now he tries to escape completely. He's trying to escape spiritually by dying. You know, Jonah could have confessed his sins to God during the storm. He could have repented on the ship, but instead of confessing his sins, instead of repenting of his ways, instead of obeying God's calling, Instead of loving the non-believers, Jonah would like to die. This is not the only time in the story he desires this, as we'll, we'll see the next few, in the next few weeks. I know, and you know, Jonah is not the only person in this room who has felt this way before. Would you rather die than confess your sins to God? All of you who just heard my question would say, John, of course not. Of course not. I'll ask the same question in a different different way. When was the last time you confessed your sins? When was the last time you repented before your God? Tomorrow is not guaranteed. When was the last time you confessed your sins and repented of your ways? 
there is another layer to his selfishness. So Jonah wants to be hurled off the boat. Who is Jonah demanding to throw himself off the boat? Does Jonah say, I'll do it? No, the sailors. He's demanding the sailors do it. Jonah doesn't say, I will sacrifice my life for the lives of others. He points the finger at the sailors and says, you do it. Kill me if you want to save yourself. So do they? Well, not at first. Please read with me Jonah chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, grew more and more stormy against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah forces these men into an ethical dilemma. Do you guys all see what that is? The ethical dilemma? Two options. If the sailors don't throw Jonah overboard, then they will die as innocent people for someone else's sin. If the sailors do throw Jonah overboard, then they will become guilty of murdering an innocent person. Innocent not in the eyes of God, but legally. Which option would you choose? You're probably thinking, I chose this option. Within the framework of this ethical dilemma, either option you choose is wrong. Either option you choose is wrong. Jonah, and that's the point, Jonah puts these men in a lose-lose situation because of his selfishness. Jonah gets what he wants in verse 15. He's thrown overboard. Remember his descent. He's went down to Joppa, went down into the ship, went down into the inner part of the ship, and finally, Jonah sinks even deeper into the waters, into death. Jonah tries to run away physically. That's verses 3 and 4. He tries to run away mentally. That's 5 through 10. And now Jonah tries to run away completely, spiritually, in verses 11 through 15. The farther he tries to get away from God the more he descends. We have now reached the descent of Jonah's entire being. Jonah is thinking somewhat logically, somewhat logically here, that if Jonah is dead, he doesn't have to go to Nineveh. Right? If Jonah is dead, he doesn't have to go to Nineveh. He can go straight to heaven, which he talks about in the next chapter. Jonah seems to think that God cannot use a dead man to proclaim his good news. Embassy, can even death stop God from accomplishing his mission? Our God is so powerful, even death submits to our king in heaven, something that God uses as an instrument of his glory. Contrast Jonah with the non-believing sailors. There's a critical moment here in verse 14. Verse 14 is the first time the non-believing pagans, those wicked, dirty, nasty pagans, talk to the one true God, and they address him by name, Yahweh. The first main point of this chapter is that when we flee God in our sins, God pursues us 
in his grace. The second main point we're seeing here is that when we flee God in our sin, God pursues others in his grace too. God pursues us in his grace and God pursues others in his grace. So please read, read with me the last verse, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Literally, this verse reads, the men feared a great fear of Yahweh, and they sacrificed a sacrifice to Yahweh, and they vowed vows. As Jonah goes down, and he goes down, and he goes down, the non-believing sailors feared, in verse 5, feared a great fear, in verse 10, and feared a great fear of Yahweh, in verse 16. Do you see the contrast there? We think the story of Jonah is just about God pursuing Jonah. Here, you see, God wasn't only interested in showing grace to Jonah. God also wants to show grace to the non-believing pagan mariners that the believer didn't care about. The believer didn't care, God cared. God didn't just save these men from the storm, everyone. He saved their souls. In verse 16. The new believers offer vow offerings in compliance with the Old Testament law. This is Leviticus 7, 16 through 17. They've probably never read that, by the way, but they did it in compliance with the Old Testament law. God used the disobedience and hatred and the passivity and the selfishness of his prophet, believer, Jonah, to save the souls of non-believing pagans. Jonah, in a great irony, did the very thing he didn't want to do. Help convert non-Jewish pagans. So if God wills that a person be saved, I'll tell you right now, that person will be saved. No matter what. If God wills that a person be saved, that person will be saved, no matter what. Some of you this morning are looking at your own life, and you feel like you're in a storm. You know, you look outside, and you see the, the sun and the clear skies, but you feel like you're in a storm. Have you considered this storm to be evidence of God's grace and mercy in your life? Have you considered that? You need to consider the possibility that the storm, as wrathful as it seems, as terrifying as it is, is actually an act of grace. That this terrifying storm that God threw at you is evidence of his severe mercy in your life. Maybe God wants to save you this morning. Maybe God has already poured out his grace to you. If God has elected you before the foundation of the world, if God has chosen to adopt you as sons and daughters into his family through the salvific work of Jesus Christ, then you can run away all you want. You can try to run away in your fantasies, in your daydreams, in your addictions. You can try to run away in your anger, in your depression, in your hatred and apathy toward the non-believers in this world. You can try to run away in your death like sleeps, you can try to flee in your sin, but our Father in heaven will pursue you and does pursue you with all of his love and grace and mercy. When God pursues you in his grace, he finds you in his grace. When we flee in our sin, 
God pursues in his grace, which should cause us to also pursue others in grace. That should cause us to pursue others in grace. In the passage Scott Roper read for us this morning from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, the author writes a story about Jesus falling asleep on a boat during a storm. One pastor argued that you cannot understand this New Testament story unless you know the Old Testament story of Jonah, because Mark is obviously making a point about Jesus using Jonah chapter 1. In, this, in the Jesus story, there's a great storm on the sea. The boat is breaking. The men are terrified. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The men wake Jesus up for his help. They yell that they are perishing, and then the water stops moving. And at the end of the story, the men don't just fear, the men fear a great fear. In both endings, the men are more terrified at the end of the story than they are at the beginning of the story. In both endings, they see the tremendous power of God. One clear difference you probably noticed between the two stories is that in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is thrown to his death, right? In chapter 1, Jonah is thrown to his death. But in Mark 4, Jesus isn't. The disciples don't throw Jesus off the boat to his death. But the point Mark is making is that it is by the death of Christ that the storm was able to stop. Do you guys see that? The same God who spoke creation to existence in Genesis 1 is the same power Jesus spoke the storm to stop. Peace, be still. And it is by this power that Jesus died on the cross on behalf of our sins and then after being buried for three days, came back to life. It is by this power that Christ descends to the grave but ascends from the dead and ascends again into heaven. It is by this power that you know and fear the one true God who gave his life for you. Jonah said, if you want to be saved, you sacrifice me. Jesus said, because I want to save you, I sacrifice myself. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to pick it up again. Take it up again. Jonah doesn't care about this world. Jesus loves this world. Jonah ran away from the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Some of you this morning need to wake up, wake up from your death-like sleep and hear the wonderful, life-giving, authoritative word of God. Embassy Church, arise, arise and go. Go to the great city of Chicago. Proclaim the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, in our flight, we ask for your pursuit. In our sin, we ask for your grace and mercy. In our aloneness, we ask for a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ.
in our weakness, we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. And in our life, we ask for you. And in your son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen.